0: come Holy Spirit take our lips and speak with them take our lives and work through them and take our hearts and set them on fire with the love of the name of the Lord Jesus Amen. usually I can um, when my content is kind of scattered I can make up with enthusiasm but I don't have a whole lot of enthusiasm I really am just barely hanging on here um I had a great two weeks of study, I really did, and um, I dove into John the Baptist, and probably of all the figures in the New Testament next to Jesus, he's probably got more information about John than anybody else, look it up, Um, just a great story, in fact, he's the only one other than Jesus who really have a birth narrative about John. In the first chapter of Luke, which is 80 verses long, um, Luke records John's, conception, and then Jesus' and John, back and forth, and it's just really fascinating about me, for me, and one of the things I thought about last week was um, when Mark, the passage last week, was John came out pretty strong in Mark's gospel, um, and I thought, what gave him such a boldness? And yes, he was a prophet, and I'm going to go over some of that, but did his family have anything to do with that? Um, Beginning the, the last Sunday of the church year, Taylor mentioned about story, and we kind of loosely said we were going to be about story um, this Advent. Um, do we know the story of John the Baptist? And I tried this out on um, Thursday at up at Westminster, um, and these are some just elder people who just have loved the Lord most of their life. And I was really kind of amazed at how few of them really knew the story of John the Baptist. And so that kind of convicted me that I might share a little bit about that. But before I do, um, lest I lose you, I want to make sure you got a takeaway, all right? So two takeaways from John the Baptist. Number one, there is nothing nothing greater than directing our full attention to Jesus. Nothing greater. Another way to say that is, to point to Jesus in our life um, is the most important thing we do. Um, and all we do and say, if our lives bear witness to the true light, which gives light to everyone, in that section before uh, Susan read and John, back in verse 6, it said there was a man who came from God, and he was not the light, but he bore witness to the light. For the light that was coming is a light for all people. And John spent his whole life pointing to Jesus. So that's my first takeaway. So I'll just ask you, um, and I ask myself, does my life point to Jesus? When you see me, um, do you think of Jesus? Or do you just think of some frail human being up here? You know. So I think that's important. So nothing greater than directing people to Jesus. Amen? Second point, the act of repentance, which John preached, that was his primary message. And whether this repentance was the first time you've turned to the Lord or whether it was another time where you return to the Lord, repentance is not the end game. Do you hear me there? Repentance is not the end game. Um, the Holy Spirit working in our lives, purifying us and encouraging us. That's the end game. And even in John's message, he said, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who's coming after me, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. In a Bible study this week, someone mentioned, I never thought about this, that not only was he not worthy to wash Jesus' feet, he wasn't even worthy to untie the sandals before he washed. That was a big word. Um, But... He said, I baptized with water for repentance, but he's coming after me. He's greater than I, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then two other of the gospel said, and with fire. All right? So um, second point, repentance is not the end game. All right? Um, in, in that thought, um, I, I found this legend, and I shared it at, at 8 o'clock, and they looked at me like, that made no sense but I'm going to try it anyway, all right? Um, This legend, um, which came from the Desert Fathers, which is the Essene community, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is Qumran, which perhaps John was a part of. Is that resonating for anybody here? Um, They practiced purification rites every single day. They were purifying themselves for their sins every day. That is exhausting, I mean, I'm just thinking about if all I did every day is repent and never got about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, I mean, that just wears me out thinking about it. I mean, I don't like to repent anyway, but, but <laughs> can you imagine doing that all day, every day? Because this community believed that they could just be pure enough that Jesus would come back. And we know the answer to that is what? We can't be, but they tried that anyway. So in this legend, um, trying to make, make sense for you, um, it goes like this. There was a young monk who went out to the Desert Father, one of the Desert Fathers, and he was, he was at a crossroad in his faith. It was just, things were just level, and he just, he wouldn't get anywhere. It kind of reminds me of the story where the guy comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, I do all the commandments, but something's not working. And um, he said, Father, what more should I do? Um, And he went on to describe his daily life of prayer and fasting, of repentance and study and meditation. And he said, "What what more must I do? And the desert father raised his hands, and legend has it, that fire came out of his hands. Have anybody heard this story before? Um, and already the person on the front row at eight was going, What are you talking about? But fire came out of his hands, and he looks at the young monk and he says, Why not become totally fire? y'all get that? Why not become totally on fire for the Lord? Not just going through the practices. The young monk's self-constructed piety, his daily rituals of fasting and prayer, um, were left open to the consuming work of the Holy Spirit. Why not become fire, not just go through the motion? Um, repentance is turning and then to take a step and then another step and another step and live a life that's just full of the consuming fire of the Holy Spirit, amen? Um, Does our life point to Jesus? In all our circumstances, and this group has a lot of circumstances, do we not? In ups and downs, do we continue to point to Jesus? Do we believe, do we believe That God can and does pour out his consuming fire of the Holy Spirit into our life in such a way that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? So um, those are my two takeaways. All right, but I want to share a journey I had. So I was thinking about John and I was thinking about parenting, and I didn't share this much at eight because most of those are done with parenting, and I didn't want to throw guilt on them Oh, I wish I had done that. Um, But some of you are still doing it, all right? Does our parenting have an effect on our children's ability to not point to themselves all the time, but point to Jesus? Does the way we parent our children affect the way that they can just be bold about Jesus and not have to point to themselves. So um, I did some reading in the Bible about Elizabeth and Zachariah, John's parents. Um, and I actually threw some Bibles in, the, uh, in your chairs there because um, I used to always say this, this is what it should look like when you go to church. Y'all remember me saying that? <laughs> Bring your Bible. Um, And so I did some reading in this birth narrative in Luke's gospel, chapter 1. Go home and read it, 80 verses. It's really beautiful. It's really an amazing story. It really is a narrative. In fact, Luke opens his uh, gospel um, with these words. He said, In so much as verse 1, so much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which could be a person or a lover of God, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. That's how Luke opens his gospel. And then the next verse, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. This is John the Baptist's father. Um, right there in the beginning, just kind of like Mark, he starts his gospel talking about John the Baptist, not about Jesus. And he goes on and said, um, he was of the division of Abisha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, which was a priestly order. So both Zechariah was a priest, and, and Elizabeth came from a priestly um, tribe. And he had a wife named Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Parenting, are you guys hearing this? But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Does that remind you of anybody in the Old Testament? Somebody want to speak up? Abraham and Sarah. If you're the people of Israel reading this story, you go, oh man, God's about to do something here because I'm writing about Abraham and Sarah, really. Now, while he was serving, and this is where it started to fascinate me, he was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty. So his division was on duty at the temple and was probably a -a once-in-a-lifetime appointment for this division, all right? So they're coming up to the temple and they're gonna serve in the temple. I I think I read that somewhere. You're welcome to challenge me on that. Um, It doesn't change the message here. and then this, it says this, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple. That's an amazing thing. Not only was his division set aside to do this one-time thing, but he, of all the people in his division, was chosen lots to go in. And where he went into was called the holy place, which is right before the holy of holies. And I know y'all are fired up about this, aren't you? But the holy place, and... Um, and in the holy place was the altar of incense. And Revelation tells us that's where the prayers of the saints. And to the right is the showbread, which is really stale bread. Twelve loaves for the twelve tribes of Israel. And on the left are the seven lampstands. And Revelation tells us that's the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So he goes in. I mean, he was fired up. And he goes in and listen to what happens. This is once again... I think a parenting thing, and a, really a husband and wife thing. And the whole multitude of the people were outside praying at the hour of incense, and there appeared to Zechariah, who had gone in, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's the side of power. And if you hear the right hand, the right side, that's always power. Um, and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And listen to what the angel of the Lord said. This is phenomenal. The angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What was the prayer? Next verse, next uh, word. Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Old age. How long do you think Zechariah had been praying for Elizabeth? long time. You're talking about a prayerful couple. you talking about a man who had a heart for his wife. Because down here in, at the end of the, that little section, um, when Elizabeth, well, let me say this. Um, so he goes on and he says this about John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Isn't that amazing? One of the prayers I, 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 thought, I think about when, when those of you who are bearing child come forward is I pray that that child like Elizabeth in your womb will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a great? I'm just praying what the scriptures say. And so, and so Zechariah gets this word and he will turn this child in the womb Will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So, from, from conception, it's about to happen. Um, John had a had a call, and Zechariah heard that call. Do you think he spoke that call into John's life as a child? Yes. This is what God is. What is the call for all of us, really? You know, to serve the Lord. You know, that's what we should be speaking into our children. Point your life to the Lord. John, that's what you're going to do. And then, then Zacharias said, how can this be? I'm old. And Elizabeth's old. And one of those weird things in the Bible, um, Gabriel didn't like that, so he made him dumb, and he couldn't speak. And so he comes out, and when he comes out, he kind of makes sign languages, and, and everybody, everybody knows something happened. But then he did believe, because after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. That required some action there, right? Okay, so he did give it a shot, you know. Um, and thus, and then listen to this, thus the Lord has done for me, this is Elizabeth's word, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Just broke my heart there thinking that she carried that burden of being barren, reproach among people, And Zachariah, just don't you know it broke his heart? I mean, you hurt me, I can get through it. You hurt my wife or my children or a friend, that's hard. So Zachariah prayed, I think, daily for Elizabeth. Um, And the angel said, God has heard your prayer. Um, I don't want to belabor this too much longer, but um, if you go down to the end of the chapter, um, Mary meets the angel Gabriel, he's very busy angel gabriel um she's conceived she flees out to elizabeth's home out in the countryside it said that in those days mary went with haste why do you think she did that where did she go she went to elizabeth church you know this the value of intergenerational relationships is just powerful we need them in our life We need older people in our life, older people, us. We need younger people in our life. That's what God's intent with. So she went out there with Elizabeth. What did they talk about? The struggles that she had, the struggles Mary's going to have, all that kind of conversation. Mary has that beautiful Magnificat, but I want to focus in on this part. Down in verse 67, um, Elizabeth gives birth to the child. She names him John. Everybody said, why are you naming him John? He should be called Zachariah. They turned to Zachariah, who still hasn't been able to speak yet. Um, Zechariah was his name, and he somehow says John, and he, he gets his voice back. Um, and there's this prophecy, said this in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, and listen to what he prophesied. The first thing he prophesied was about Jesus, not about John. Set that model right away. It was about Jesus, not about you, John, you know. Um, and then he goes on after he prophesied about Jesus and said, And you, child, this is down in verse 76, um, you, child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people and then it goes on the rest of it. So let me just close with this. Um, I think from day one, as Zachariah and Elizabeth started parenting this set-apart child, they began to pour into his life a boldness for the Lord. Um, Unashamedly, fire, you know, full-on fire, so that when John came out, um, that's what he preached, baptism with fire. So let me close with this prayer. Bow your heads. Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in us a fire of your love. Send forth your spirit and we shall be created and we shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit you did instruct the hearts of the faithful grant that by that same Holy Spirit, we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolation. Elizabeth, Mary, Zechariah, John, all became fire. What about us? Amen.